Today, we are joined by 610 Sports Radio host Sean Pendergast to discuss the Texans, their rookies, and then, of course, we're going to be talking about the Rockets as well. So stay tuned. back to the episode of Ride on Will. I am your first host, Will. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff at Bias Houston. Over there, we do a lot of the content aggregation spaces, anything you need for Houston sports, Rockets content. We got you over there. Uh, before I pass it off to Brad, I'm we shout out Clutch City Control Room on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure y'all tap in on us over there and on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment, all that good stuff. We really appreciate all the support you guys have been showing us. And with that, I'm going to pass it off to my co-host, Brad. As always, I'm your other host, Brad. You can catch me on Instagram and Twitter at BradoABA, all your favorite um, Rocket stats, highlights. And now, you know, branching over to the Texans, I have stats for them as well, and the Astros included. But that's it for my intro. Today, we have a very special guest, the Sean Pendergast. Uh, grew up listening to you on the radio, so it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, how are you doing today, Sean? <laughs> doing great. I'm doing great. So you, grew up, so you grew up listening to me on the radio, so that makes me... When I first got into radio, I first did my my first show I did was in 2007, but I had a a chunk of my I'll call it my radio notoriety like the decade before that calling the Jim Rome show and winning mm-hmm. the smack off a bunch of times. This is how I know I'm getting old, guys. Is early in my radio career, I listened to you all the time. Growing up, was I listened to you on the Rome show? I'm assuming you guys are at an age where like listening to me growing up actually means you listen to my like my getting paid to be on radio part of my career, which is very gratifying because it means I've been doing this a long time, but it just kind of hit me like right between the eyes. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're not talking about the Rome show. They're talking about me actually being on 610 and stuff like that. It's great to be on with you guys. I think you guys do an awesome job. I was really psyched to get to do this. So thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, um, I I was born in 97. So I remember just being elementary school, middle school, just listening to radio, you know, all the takes about the Texans and and everything like that. So I I saw bits and pieces of the other Rome show, but no, I definitely did. <laughs> hey, Brad, it's all on the internet if you want to find it, man. Right, it's, it's, it's archived. If you want to go, if you want to go find me screaming into my phone in 1999, it's out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely go back and check it out. But for today, guys, we're, yeah, yeah, today we have a fun palette uh, to talk about. You know, the Texans. Our first time talking about the Texans. Anything other than Rockets basketball? First time we got y'all right now. Had to with Sean. I'm <laughs> making history. Yes. <laughs> You know, the Texans, they just went 3-0 in the preseason. Um, they had a lot of promise from their rookies. Uh, we'll talk about Davis Mills as well. But, I, you know, the start, you know, the the star of the Texans so far has been Damian Pierce. only played in, you know, two possessions, and he's looked amazing. So, Sean, you know, what are your thoughts on Damian Pierce? And do you think he could potentially break the Texans' rookie rec- uh, rushing record held by Steve Slayton, who had – Okay. Yeah, you did your research because I, I that, it's funny. The Steve Slayton thing has been popping through my head a lot watching Damian Pierce run um, because I, I, mean, I remember Slayton's rookie year in 2008 and sim- kind of similar in that Slayton was a third round pick. Pierce is a fourth round pick. I think Pierce is actually coming in with more expectation, ironically, as a fourth round pick than Slayton did back in 2008. Um, Slayton was coming onto a team that was three years into the Kubiak era, like they, they were, they, you know, they were at a stage where they, you know, let's get going, let's make the playoffs. I think this team is still at a stage where internally they know that this, there's still at least another year of drafting they need to do to rebuild this team. 
so along those lines, you know, it's funny, Brad, is it uh, I kind of don't want him to break Steve Slayton's rookie rushing record this year. And it sounds counterintuitive to say that, but I don't think the Texans are going to be a very good team this year. And I'm not breaking any news by saying that I, I I'm excited about the direction of the team and some of the guys they've drafted. It's a lot like the Rockets. They're in very similar stages. I think <clears throat> um, where I'm not really measuring my enthusiasm for the team right now with wins and losses. It's more about pieces um, I don't want Damian Pierce burning 250 touches on a team that wins five games. You know what I mean? <clears throat> um, the running back position is a very, it's, it's got a shelf life. Uh, <clears throat> so I, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I think he's awesome. I think he's clearly, clearly the best running back on this team. The good news is Nick Casario and Lovey Smith clearly think that as well. Cause they didn't play him in the second preseason game. They only gave him six carries in the third preseason game, and they got him out of there. They let him run behind the ones. So all signs are pointing up for Damian Pierce. Um, so I, if, I'll if i say this. If he's breaking the, the rookie rushing record by Steve Slayton, it probably means the Texans are having un, an unexpectedly really good season. So maybe I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm contradicting myself by saying that. I don't want to see him get enough carries to break the rookie rushing record because I think this team's probably a five or six win team. Let's not burn him out. You know, let's let's make sure that okay, you know, you got that guy. I think they should probably look at drafting another running back next year, a young running back, so you got a nice little stable going. You know, they still don't have much depth at that position. Um, but I'm super excited about Damian Pierce, and you hit the nail on the head. He has been the talk of training camp from the time training camp started, even before the New Orleans game where he had the the you know all those those nice runs. Um, he's been the talk and he's got a great personality on top of it. On top of all that, I went to the, I went to the, um, the season premiere function they had last night over at, um, over at the train in the bubble. They had their big season ticket holder, like kind of a gala, like a big celebration. It was like a casino night. All the players were there, probably 500 people there. I got there pretty early because it's an open bar. So, um, <laughs> Damian Pierce was the first player to show up and he was like 10 minutes ahead of every other player. Like he got there and then he just kind of stood and was like, just sitting there chatting with people. Like he was the first one by far there. So that was impressive to me. You know, like that's, that's probably one of those functions that players don't really like to go to. It's their Saturday night. You know, they're hanging out with a bunch of season ticket holders. Some, some may like it. I don't get the sense. A lot of them truly enjoy it. Pierce was there early and he was chatting it up. He's just got a great personality, man. He's really easy to root for. Yeah, yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, I would say yeah. I, yeah. I watched all the preseason games too, especially in that first game you talk about against um uh, against the New Orleans Saints, right? Like everybody on Twitter was talking about Damian Pierce runs like he's angry at somebody. Like, so that was kind yeah. of funny to hear. Yeah, you talk about that. That's, that's always a good thing to hear about your uh maybe one day you're running back one. But he wasn't the only uh, rookie we're bringing in this year. We have some other guys, uh, such as, you know, um, Derek Stingley, the, the, the big name there, uh, Kenyon Green out of yeah. Texas A&M. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of other guys out there. So, you know, what are your thoughts on the entire rookie class, not just uh, Damian Pierce? I, I, yeah, I think it's a really good class. Um, I think I'll throw Jalen Petrie's name in there. He's probably yeah. been the best rookie he, he might be having an even better camp than Damian Pierce, which is which sounds crazy. Pierce's camp is easier to – and preseason games are easier to quantify because he's a running back. You know, you he's got the ball in his hands, so you're, you're naturally focused on that. Um, Petrie has been at times the best defensive player on this football team. Not that that's a massively high bar to clear. They don't have any pro bowlers on here, but they got a lot of good veteran guys. 
And Petrie's been in the league for a, one preseason so far, and he's clearly that far ahead. And um, and he's he also has a, as you guys pointed out, he's got a draft classmate who was the number three overall pick in the draft in Stingley. And Petrie's been the guy standing out. Doesn't mean that Stingley hasn't been standing out, but they've just been bringing him along a lot more slowly because of the injury he's coming injury. back from. He's coming back from that List Frank injury. So they've been bringing him back slowly. Um, but he he played uh, 15 snaps, I think, against the Rams in the second game. And he played a decent sort of like third preseason, normal amount of snaps against uh, San Francisco. And he looks good. He looks the part Stingley does. He's very smooth. He's very athletic, super quiet. He's the opposite of Damian Pierce in terms of being a soundbite. He's as boring as it gets when you put a microphone in front of him, which Nick Casario probably likes, to be honest with you. Um, but I think both of those guys, like, I think if you're starting to, if you're looking at this rookie class and going, okay, what are the, what are the foundational pieces that we might have? I mean, it's super early. They haven't even played one regular season game yet, but I think they got it right. So far, it looks like they got it right with Stingley. They knocked it out of the park with Petrie where they got him. Um, and, and then Damian Pierce looks like he's an RB one right out of the shoot. You mentioned Kenyon green. He's had kind of an up and down camp, mostly because he had a concussion midway through camp. Um, and that's a position, you know, offensive line is a position where you really need to get the reps. You need to get the mental reps and the physical reps. He was finally able to get in against the 49ers in that third preseason game against backups. And he had some rough snaps, hit some really good snaps. You can see why the Texans drafted him. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm still really enthusiastic about Kenyon Green just because he had a concussion and kind of a came in a little out of shape, too, I guess. It's hard to tell with offensive linemen. They're so heavy, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's <laughs> like so. But apparently he was having he was struggling with his conditioning. Let me put it that way. Um, my guess is that if you were to if you were to ask, put me on the spot and ask me, do you think he starts week one? I, I'm up in the air. It's 50 50 to me. I would say yes, only because. The guys in front of him aren't all that great. That's why they drafted him. And two, I really think Lovey Smith wants to start him. I, every time he talks about Kenyon Green, he really talks in glowing terms about him. I'll put it this way. If he doesn't start, though, I could see where they put him in some sort of rotation with Justin McRae at left guard, kind of like they did with early on back in 2008 when Dwayne Brown was a rookie. He was in a rotation with Ephraim Salam, and it helped kind of gradually bring him along instead of just throwing him in the deep end of the pool. So those four guys are really they're, – they're nice football players, man. And, 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 you know, as long as we're talking about the rookie class as a whole, Christian Harris has been injured. He was their third-round pick. Obviously, John Mechie is a whole different ball of wax with leukemia. He was at practice the other day, though, and looked real upbeat, looked good. And then you've got the later-round guys, Thomas Booker, Austin Deculus, um, uh, Quinton uh, – uh, Tegan Catoriano, the tight end. All those guys, I think, are going to be back end of the roster guys. The other rookie that's really impressing right now is Kurt Heinisch, the defensive tackle out of Notre Dame, who if you guys watched the game on Thursday, he was making plays all over the place. That's been the norm with him. He's he's a guy I watched every snap of his college career because that's my school. Um, he was a playmaker in, in college as well. It's just when you look at him, he looks like a barroom brawler. He's got a big beer belly, and he's just he's, he doesn't – he doesn't look. He looks like a big, like a big strong dude, but he doesn't look like somebody that that stepped out of central casting to be an NFL player in 2022. He's just got a, he's got a weird physique, but he's also got a weird explosiveness that goes with it. He's probably been, he. I think you could argue, given how slowly they brought along Stingley, 
I think you can make an argument that Heinish has probably been their third best rookie in camp behind Petrie and um, Pierce. Pierce. Yeah, that's good. You know, I think Nick. Good rookie class. The, yeah, yeah, he's doing a great job in my opinion you know any of this texans team you know it's been, it's been a rough few years yep. but it's good to see you know a change of direction you know start to take place and a change yep. of direction that could you know start to take place you know the, the texans you know the big talk of discussion of course is the quarterback position you know i've seen it mocked you know for next year you know they they might need another quarterback but you know davis mills has showed some promise you know last season um he has his areas that he's really good at and of course he has to improve in a lot of areas as well you know, one area that he was good in I saw Jason Braddock uh, tweeted he was the best QB in the NFL last season while he was scrambling. He had a 105.3 quarterback rating in mm -hmm. that area, and he did really good in the red zone as well. So, yeah. Sean, what are your thoughts on Davis Mills? You know, do you think he could be the Texans quarterback of the future, or what do you think? He could be. Uh, it, he's not had a great camp. Um, yeah. If you've watched the games, it hasn't been great in the games either. Um, the first two especially. Uh, we only played two series against New Orleans. But then in the uh, Rams game, you know, that was basically a two-throw outing for him. Like, it was not going well. And then he had the, the, the deep shot to Philip Dorsett towards the end of the half that Dorsett was able to get both his feet down, drew a 15-yard penalty. So that put the Texans in shouting distance, you know, put him in the red zone with seven seconds to go in the half, and he was able to throw that jump ball to Nico to get the touchdown. If, if Davis didn't have that, those two throws – boy, we'd have been going into the third game of the preseason against the Niners with him as a big, big talking point. He's already the biggest talking point because let's face it, that's the most important storyline with this team this year is what happens with Davis Mills. What is Davis Mills come middle of January next year? And how does Nick Casario feel about Davis Mills? Because unlike last year's draft, where it really wasn't a great draft for quarterbacks, it was one of the worst in history I mean, Kenny Pickett in the first round, and then nobody else till the third. This is a draft that's going to look a lot more like the drafts the, the couple of years before that, where, you know, in 2021, you had five taken in the top 15. In 2020, you had three taken in the top six. This is going to look a lot more like that. And the Texans not only will probably be picking high enough to get one of those guys, they've got the extra picks to be able to maneuver if they really, really want to go get one of those guys. So I think right now, if Mills – if Mills is in the regular season, if Mills is who he's been in the preseason, this team will be in the market for a quarterback um, in, in the spring. Uh, if Mills is who he was in the last five games of 2021, where he had a passer rating of 102.4, where he had nine touchdowns and two interceptions, um, then they probably won't draft a quarterback with a high pick. 102.4 passer rating if you extrapolate that out over a full year, that makes that would have put him seventh in the league. So he played at a level in those last five games, at least if you believe in passer rating. No, no stats perfect, but I, I always feel like passer rating on the margins, like at the top end and the bottom end, usually match the eye test. 102.4 would have put him ahead of Tom Brady last year if that was what he did all year long. So I say that to say that was the most recent body of work we have in the regular season. If he's that, then he can be the guy. If he's what he was in this preseason where, it, you know, he's looked a little overwhelmed at times, his decision-making has been off, they're going to be shopping for a quarterback. But that is that is far and away the biggest storyline with this team this year is when when next, when next January rolls around, what is Davis Mills? 
Yeah, and Davis Mills is going to play a huge factor in the Texans record this season. That's going to be my last Texans question for you of the day. I know you mentioned, you know, five, six wins earlier in the podcast, but is that your prediction? You think they could probably win around five or six? Yeah, that that's right where I am. I'm, I'm, I think I'm at six. I think I'm at six right now. Um, you know, I, I, I've gone through the schedule a few times. Um, they, like any schedule, there's certain patches that are really, really tough. There's certain patches that are, um, that are a little bit easier. <clears throat> um, the, the midway point of the season, they, they start to, their bye week is in week six and they've got, they've got like Tennessee who I don't think very highly of and Philadelphia. Who's all right on a Thursday night, they got the giants and the commanders. They like, they play three NFC East teams all through like three weeks in a row. And there's like a Jacksonville mixed in there. Like, okay, that's a, that's a very manageable part of the season right there. Um, but come week 13, you've got Deshaun Watson coming back to town for Cleveland who, you know, Deshaun, I don't know how he's going to look, you know, he, he looked rusty this preseason and the only action that he had, um, I wonder what the crowd's going to be like at that game because I think there's going to be a lot of Browns fans in the stadium that day. It's going to be crazy either way, right, Will? It's going to be crazy either way. But um, but let's pretend that Deshaun's Deshaun. They're going to have a patch of schedule where it's it's going to be fun as hell. I don't know how they're going to do, but they got Cleveland at home and then Dallas in Dallas in week 14. And then week 15, they have the Chiefs here. And then they finish with three division games in a row. So that's a pretty fun way to close out the season. If they could, man, if they could find a way just to, if they could muck their way 11 games in, because they'll have played 11 games when Deshaun gets here. If they could muck their way to four or five wins going into that game, and they're still kind of playing for something mathematically in that game, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun, either more fun if the Texans showed themselves to be a, a competitive football team leading up to that point. Um, so, so we'll see what happens, but I think I'm going to go six, you, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to come on your podcast and go yeah, five or six or seven, really any positive integer. Um, I'll say, I'll say six, Brad, I'll go six and 11 for the Texans this year. Look, six and 11. That's, that's good with me. I'll be okay with six wins. <laughs> Two wins. It's, and again, it's not, it's not about, to me, it's, it's not about the wins and losses when it comes to evaluating the season. It's a fair question to ask because that's, you know, that I think that's that's an easy way for everybody to go, well, how do you think they're going to do? Six wins. I, I would rather they win four games and come away with 10 new foundational pieces than win six games and only have six new foundational pieces. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. again, it's a lot like the Rockets right now. You know, we're not judging them by wins and losses. We're judging them by, holy crap, Shingun looks like the real deal. And wow, Jalen Green, the last seven games, he was knocking it down, you know, 30 points a night and he scored 40 in his last game. And, you know, and Josh Christopher and obviously this rookie class and KPJ and all that stuff. I don't care that they won 20 games. I care that they've got like three or four guys where I'm like, man, I'm psyched to watch these guys. And if they progress the way they're supposed to, eventually they're going to start winning some basketball games. I think it's the same thing with the Texans. With the Texans, it's a little more nuanced because you got to find the quarterback. They could get they could get everything but the quarterback right in the draft. And what that gets you a lot of times is eight wins, <laughs> you know? So, um, but it's it's fun. It's good to be out of the dark period for both of those teams. Yeah, I agree. And when you're looking at the Rockets, that's the biggest thing that helped them, you know, going forward. You know, when they, you know, had to trade James Harden, 
they didn't go to be a mediocre team. They they decided to tank, and that's what helped what helped them the most. As you said, you know, I prefer you know ten foundational pieces opposed to six. Yeah, the Rockets said the right thing. You know, they they tanked, they started from the bottom, and you build from there, and that's how you get your your generational talents. And you know, you just build from the bottom. And I, I've loved yeah. what the Rockets have done so far. And you know, you mentioned Shane Goon. He also played a game today against Serbia and against his idol Nikola Jokic. He played really well at seventeen points, thirteen rebounds. Uh, two, two blocks and was even eight for nine from the free throw line, an area of concern for him. So that was great to see. Okay, good. I, that's my dude. That's I because you 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 DM me about that this morning because that's why we had to move things around a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know they were playing. So I've been doing my CBS show all day. Right. So I'm like, I know Brad and Will get me updated on what uh, <laughs> what, what Shingun did. So he looked good. Yeah, he looks good. He looks good. Uh, he even hit a three pointer, which we love to see. Everyone loves seeing. Yeah, hell yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So I know that you, again, you were in your show today, so you obviously probably didn't watch. But what are your thoughts on, you know, Alperen Shangun? He's going to be starting this year. You know, they got rid of Christian Wood. So he yeah. is now the starting center of the future, hopefully. But, you know, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I like Shangun a lot. Um, I, uh, I'm i glad they got rid of Christian Wood. I had a uh, I had a thing <laughs> I was doing on my show called The Summer of Sean. And I told Seth, I, at the beginning of the summer, I had five wishes for the summer. And the two Rocket-related ones were – um, trade Christian Wood, and I wanted them to draft Paolo Boncaro. That was who I wanted them to take, and, and that would have been great if they drafted him. I'm really happy with Jabari Smith, and I think Jabari Smith probably is a better fit for what they need with the defense right now and mm -hmm. not being as ball dominant. I think he's a good fit. Um, so that was my, my – but my wish list, the reason I bring that up is because I the reason I wanted them to trade Christian Wood was so they could open up some minutes for Shangun. He's just – He's he's just so advanced offensively, I guess, is the best way to put it. And he's so deceptive. Like you watch him on the floor and you go, OK, well, this guy, what's this guy going to be doing? And then you watch him with the basketball in his hands and the court vision that he has and the personality that he has to go with it, too. Um, I think he's just I think he's ideal. I think he's ideal for what they're building. I think he's ideal for the guys that they're that they're putting around him. They've got guys that can shoot the basketball. And then he's kind of that focal point that with that, you know, just his ability to his ability to pass from the, from the low post, his ability to pass period, you know, from anywhere, from anywhere on the floor. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. I think it was, I mean, Raphael Stone, I can't say enough about what he's done in the draft. Um, the, the Jalen Green picks and the Jabari Smith picks are awesome because they're, they are fundamentally great players. The Shangun trade at 16 two years ago, two drafts ago, and the Tari Eason pick at 17 this year are total game changers for this franchise. You know, like there, there have been a lot of teams that have drafted two and three for years and years and years and years, even drafted good players in those spots, and they don't get anywhere. Um, you need those other pieces at the same time, and that – that he was able to find a, a an offensively like a that advanced an offensive player at 16 and and trade in and trade with like he traded with Oklahoma State like Oklahoma State could have used that guy <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like if I'm if I'm a Thunder fan I'm I'm going to watch Shangun the next couple of years like oh awesome <laughs> like and I'm going to see what I use those first round picks on that I got to because uh, I think Shingun's got a, I don't know if he's going to be an all-star, but he's got a chance to be a really, really good player for a good team for a long, long time. And this Tari Eason, man, um, I've heard you guys talking about him on y'all's yeah. podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, I forget which of you guys was talking about the potential for him to be the best player coming out of that 
draft. That was me. Uh, that, was Will? That. that was Will. Okay, I thought it was Will. And and I'm and I'm listening to it and I'm going, okay, and you were you were acknowledging that there was there there was an element of hot take to it. Like you you believe that, but you acknowledge like, okay, I realize like the chances of it happening. But the examples that you brought up, Will, I thought were really, really good. Um, of guys drafted in the teens in the back end of the first round that if you were to redraft the Kawhi Leonard draft, uh, that he'd probably be the first pick in, you know, that was the Kyrie draft. He'd be picked ahead of Kyrie for sure. sure. If they redrafted that, you know, obviously Giannis is a freak. Um, he would be the first pick that was 2013. I think that was the Anthony Bennett draft. So, um, there's a lot of guys that would have gotten picked ahead of Anthony Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> Three of us might've gotten picked ahead of Anthony Bennett. Um, but I, but Tari Eason, dude, I was, I was, I mean, I obviously watched him play some at LSU, but we were, my wife and I were at uh, one of the summer league games. We were in Vegas at the beginning of July. So we got to go to the first one that they played against Paulo. And I just remember seeing that team come out of the runway. And, you know, there's a saying in football, like this guy's the first guy you want off the bus in a hostile environment. You know, like there's, you know, just certain guys that just look, you know, like, holy crap. Like, you want that guy to be first off the bus so the opposing fans know this This, this is who you got to deal with today. Tari Eason had a little bit of not, – not the intimidation factor like a football player, but just, holy cow, like, this, this kid looks the part, man. Like, he's long and he's athletic. And, you know, I think his shot is going to improve the more he shoots it. I think that's one area that you can improve as a player. Um, I, yeah, I'm with you guys on him. So that, so that's, that's a big key to me as to why I'm so enthusiastic. Yeah. Jalen green and Jabari Smith jr. Are awesome. And I think they're going to be great. I think Jalen green has a legit chance to be like, great, great. Like, like using, we overuse great. Sometimes he's got a chance to be the type of great that we talk, we should be talking about, but the glue guys and Easton might not even be a glue guy. He might be an all-star too. Who knows? But I can't say enough about the job they've done so quickly pivoting and I think you mentioned Tillman. I think Tillman deserves a lot of credit for allowing his staff to conduct a rebuild because this is not – I mean, we've all followed Tillman as a businessman long enough. And if you watch his show, Billion Dollar Buyer and things like that, like Tillman is as alpha as it gets, man. It's got to be like, you know, like a, a thousand paper cuts for him to have to go through a lottery-level rebuild and for him to have the patience to do it, and I probably give credit to, you know, Patrick and Rafael and guys like that behind the scenes saying this is what we need to do and him for trusting them. Um, that franchise, is, I think, is in a really, really great place right now. I, I know it doesn't look like that on the win-loss record, but I, I would buy stock in that team right now for sure. I agree. It's a long answer about what do I think of Shingun. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's no, a good what, answer. Do you, what do you think of Shingun? <laughs> and I just gave you a whole rundown of the roster. That's what you got. You caught me on a day where I just got done talking by myself on the radio for four hours. So I'm in that mode sports radio mode, man. I just did a, I killed a whole segment right now. Just uh, talking about the Rockets. No, we appreciate that. No, that was, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. I want to touch on two things that you said. And then before I get to the next question, but sure. um, one, you touched on Tillman. I think Tillman does not get enough credit for, you know, embracing the fact that we're going to rebuild this way. Um, so I look at teams like, what Washington and Portland are doing. And those are those are good teams, but like with all due respect to Washington and Portland, I don't think they're going to win a championship anytime soon. I, I think it's going to be yeah. a very long time before a team like that wins a championship. And that's because they um, they seem like they're more content with just filling uh, seats in the stands and just, you know, we'll make the playoffs, we'll leave in the first round every year. And that's cool because, you know, the, the, the seats were full this year, right? 
I think Tillman, you know, a lot of owners are like prefer to go that route, and they're afraid to to bottom out and just to go ahead and rebuild the. Which, which yeah. I think we all agree is the right way to do it. Um, and Tillman has has done that, so I I really do appreciate that part of it. Cause I I don't I don't I don't really have any interest in in being like the uh, the Wizards or the no Celtics. like middle yeah, yeah. middle of the pack every year no. Yeah, I think I think um, I think too. That's it's a really good point about the you know teams just trying to put butts in the seats. Um, it's really hard to lose money as an owner of a sports team these days because of the TV contracts, obviously. But these are billionaires, so there's still you know it's it's they, they have a certain type of pain they feel when there's not business success. I think it's worth pointing out as long as you brought that up, Will, that Tillman's core business is one that was severely impacted by COVID. You know, like he's. He's not someone who's made a billion dollars cashed out and now he's the team is his thing and this is what he does. Like 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 Mark Cuban had broadcast.com. He sold it and now like the Mavericks, he's into other stuff, obviously, but his core business is the Mavericks. Tillman's core business is 600 bars and restaurants and casinos, all of which got shut down for varying periods of time back in, in 2020. So I think he deserves a lot of credit there too that he hasn't let that, at least that I can see, he hasn't let that bleed into the operation of the basketball team. Now, what would have been interesting is, you know, the teams you named are interesting, Washington and Portland, because they both got star players with Bradley Beal and with Damian Lillard, and there feels like there's still this inkling to want to, okay, let's try to build around Beal and build around Lillard. I think Lillard is the better, clearly to me, the better player of those two, but they may both be at a stage where they're just not build aroundable anymore. It would have been interesting to see if they would have rode the James Harden thing out for longer if James didn't want to trade. Right. You know, like I, I give Tillman all the credit in the world for not wanting to just jump right back in and let's go get another all-star and see what we can do. When Harden demanded the trade, the right thing to do was then rebuild. The question becomes, would he, because we've seen Harden regress, would we be sitting in a Portland or Washington spot right now with Harden still there if Harden hadn't demanded the trade, I think we, I think we got out of the James Harden business probably just in time, unless James just comes back this year, uh, just a, a, you know, with a complete rejuvenation and renewal of mind and spirit. Um, so that part would have been interesting. Overall, though, hundred percent credit Tillman Fertitta in my mind. Yeah, and then the second thing I want to touch on real quick for the next question is like what you said about Taris, and that was my hot take. My, you know, might might be. A bad take in about five years who knows um but i when you look at like to me tari eason's floor i think he already has an insanely high floor especially what he brings on like the defensive end yeah a lot of guys are good defenders you don't see too many guys who like i'm gonna say something's kind of crazy but like defensively play make if that makes sense right like yeah i think i think back to like the play in summer league. obviously this is all just going off of summer league and, and you know college footage but that play in summer league uh, i can't remember which game it might have been OKC, Brad probably remembers more than I do, but um, he was like in the corner wing pocket, kind of tugging yeah. away and, and sprints full speed uh, to the top of the key, gets a steal. And it's like, how many guys at 19 years old have not even yeah. the, the skill to do that, but like the defensive awareness to do something like that? Like that to me is you don't see that too often. So when you talk about already where he's where the foundation he's starting with. And then just how much he has to just add to his game to continue to get better. I mean, I, and on top of that, we also know that this guy is one of the hardest workers on our team already. He's the type of guy who we, we've heard we have, like, we have to kick him out the gym because he wants to, you know, he yep. wants to keep him all summer. So between that, his, his work ethic, his ceiling, I mean, I, 
maybe maybe it's a bad take, but I, I think he can one day be, you know, we look back and we're like, yeah, man, that was probably the best player in this draft. Okay, first thing, Will, if this is what you want to do for a living, if you want to be a broadcaster, know that they're not paying you to be right. That's first thing. <laughs> so if it's a hot take, if it's a hot take and you're wrong, as long as you got a reaction from it, that was the big thing. So that's 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 word of advice number one. They don't pay me to be right. And I tell people that all the time on Twitter when they show me like old takes exposed and this and that. I said, well, that's nice. I looked at my comp plan. It doesn't say anywhere on here where I'm paid to be right. So that's cool. That's number one. Um, as far as Tar Eason goes, yeah, I feel like in general, guys that are good defenders or elite defenders, they're the ones that you know are going to be in the league for a long, long time. You know, because offense can come and go. There's a little bit of witchcraft to offense. Defense is effort and it's health and all those things. So the floor is higher for guys like that for me. You know, I don't know how high the ceiling is on Jabari or Taris, and I think it's pretty high. But I know the floor is very high because they both defend at a high level and they're both willing defenders, you know, and I think that's I think that's part and parcel of guys that the Rockets are looking for with these draft picks. I think they're doing a lot of the similar things the Texans are doing and finding guys who just love ball. You know, they just love to play basketball. Um, Texans like guys love to play football. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, like Eason's, Eason's ability to create like live ball turnover type stuff. Like there's there, you, you, I think this is where you were going with it. Like there's different categories of good defense. You know, there's, there's good like on ball defense, you know, like staying in front of your guy and things like that. And that thing, that's all well and good, you know, like altering, you know, like, trying to agitate them when they're trying to get to the rack or whatever. Like, that's good. That's productive. When you're blocking shots and changing possessions and stealing, getting steals, I know the exact steal you're talking about. Um, that's a different level of defense. When it's, when it's a level of defense where you're directly affecting possession, you know, live ball possession and creating opportunities, those are the opportunities that turn into easy baskets, right? The, the t defending a guy on the ball and and trying to you know trying to agitate him during a shot well that creates a miss that then needs to be rebound and everybody gets back on defense when you're doing the stuff Tari Eason's doing that creates two on ones and three on twos and easy baskets and things like that and I was always told by Les Alexander the one time that I got to sit down and interview him easy baskets is the key to basketball that's what he said to me easy baskets said, okay Les and then they it was funny um, he told me that. I, I did an interview with him in his office back in 2015 for a thing that I was, Oh, I was, I was writing the chapter for the, I don't know if you guys probably seen that rockets, like 50th anniversary book they put out a few years yeah. ago, yeah, yeah. that big hardbound book, the chapter on Les Alexander was written by me. So they hired oh, me man. to write that chapter. So I got to sit in his office for like two hours and talk to Les Alexander and it was pretty fun. And, uh, and I just remember like asking him, like, so what's the key to, you know, what, what do you think is like the key to like basketball, like easy baskets, easy baskets. You got to get easy baskets. You got to get easy baskets. And so a year later after they, they fired McHale, they had JB Bickerstaff for that year. And then when they hired Mike D'Antoni, if you remember that came out of nowhere, like nobody was thinking Mike D'Antoni is going to be the, the, uh, the the coach of the Rockets. And I remember texting Mike Meltzer because Meltzer loved that easy basket story. I remember texting Mike Meltzer when they hired D'Antoni. I just texted him, easy baskets, oh, easy yeah. baskets. <laughs> and that's how you knew that was a less hire, man. Like uh, that's, you know, you know, D'Antoni came in with that, you know, seven second whole deal or eight second, you know, the whole thing, the whole Phoenix thing and what it was going to do for Harden and Harden as a point guard. And Les just started probably going easy baskets, easy baskets. 
So Les would sit there the whole time. Everybody's got a nervous tick when they talk, right, of some sort. You know, you're doing something, scratching your arm. He had three poker chips in his hand, and he's kept flipping them like this the whole conversation. You listen to the audio of the conversation, you hear this clickly, clickly, click in the background. He's just flipping three poker chips the whole time, whole time. I got more stories from that conversation, but I'll save that for the next time I'm on with you guys. Perfect, yeah, because we were definitely going to uh, bring you back on. That was going to be the last thing I said in this podcast. But I wanted to mention something yeah. about Easy Baskets. You know, this upcoming year, the NBA is taking away the take foul. So having a guy like Tari, you know, can come in and be a defensive playmaker. You can't foul anybody on a fast break this year. So it's going to be fun to see Tari out there. Yeah. On, you know, getting blocks and steals and the Rockets are you know, off to the races. You know, they're yep. a young, fast team, exciting on the fast break. So that's the one thing I wanted to add. You know, it's going to be it's gonna be fun having Tari out there. Oh, so you kind of alley oop. Really fun. You kind of alley oop. The question I was going to ask Sean next was like, so, yeah, they're taking away the take foul, and we have a lot of guys who are explosive in transition. We're talking about Jalen Green and how special he can be. Uh, but those other guys in this roster, we have, you know, KPJ, Josh Christopher, um, KJ Martin to an extent. Like, what are your thoughts on like some of those guys? Do you what do you yeah, what do you think about those two guys? Yeah, I think it's a really it's a fun, it's a young, it's an athletic team. Um, I, I I'm uh, you know KPJ is the one like he's sort of the wild card in the whole thing. You know, like I think we know kind of what direction they want to go with Jalen Green. I think we know the direction clearly. I think we know now the direction they want to go with Shangun. Um, you know, we'll see how the, I think Tari and Jabari are going to have pretty specific roles right out of the shoot, being athletic defensive wings that can shoot a little bit. Jabari can really shoot it. Um, KPJ is a really interesting one to me because there's so much there. There's there's so much wrapped up in that whole thing. Obviously, the, the reason they were able to get him so inexpensively, you know, was a lot of, you know, just behind the scenes stuff. It had nothing to do with his skill set. But then he comes here. And I think the team, even with the one little flub last year where you know he you know, left the, you know just left from one of the games um the team see, still seems very invested in him he always gets mentioned a lot when they're talking about the young core um the fact that he's at a stage where you know he could they could extend him i think is kind of interesting like what do they you know what you know this, this team it it's you know once eric gordon and john wall are off the books you just got all these young guys that are on relatively inexpensive deals it's going to be fascinating to watch them all not only grow together, but get paid together too. Like what's that going to look like? What's the, what are the finances of the NBA going to look like by the time that's all happening? But as far as KPJ goes, the fact that he's at that stage right now to me is, is kind of interesting. Like this is one of the first big post Harden fiscal decisions the team has, you know? Um, so he's out of all the guys you name there, will like Kevin Porter jr. Plus, plus they, you know, like, he's kind of the one they view as the point guard in this whole thing right now, but I don't know that he's a point guard, you know, like I, I, he, you know, he's a point guard, but he's got all these amazing catch and shoot stats and he's a really good scorer. And I don't know if he's like the exact type of ball distributor you need. Um, so he's the most interesting one to me, but there's no doubt it's, it's a super fun group. And the whole thing with the take foul, that just feels like something that the whole analytics department now has like a quantifier on it. Like, it bumps this guy up that much more up a draft board that he's going to create uh, live ball turnovers and easy baskets. And, and, you know, that's, and I think to your guys point, you make a great point. This team is as young and as, as athletic as they are, that new element to the rule book really plays into the Rockets favor. I agree. Yes. Yeah, and I make it a point of emphasis every single podcast to bring up Kevin Porter Jr.'s catch and shoot numbers from last season. You know, he led the NBA 48.2% last year. 
Yeah, absolute sniper. I'd say that every podcast. I, I saw you brought I got it up. that from you. I got sure I got that from your Twitter feed, Brad. I there guarantee. Yeah, I guarantee. Yeah, dude, dude, I get I get it from your Twitter feed. If I don't get it directly from seeing your tweets, I get it from one of my sons sending me one of your tweets on the group chat. <laughs> <laughs> all the time, dude. You have to send me your kids' uh, Twitter pages so I can follow them. That's funny. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. Right, so yeah, they're. Um, but I'm sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure I thieved that from you. The whole catch and shoot thing, as I probably did for the show also. Like that's that's the dude. I'm telling you, we're as I'll say this as a, like a a radio host. Uh, we're really lucky in this town, you know, you guys and, you know, clutch fans and um, myriad of other guys that cover the Rockets. And it's the same thing with the Texans and the Astros. I don't know what it's like in other cities, but we've got a great, great slew of passionate people that cover the teams in the, in the ecosystem that you guys are in with the podcasting and social media and everything else. Um, we're really lucky about that. So I thank you guys for that for sure. I oh, thank you for laying helps, the foundation. Helps me. Yeah. You yeah. Me. <laughs> Just trying. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing we want to touch on with you while we had your time today, um, you know, we, we, we have to do this with the start of the podcast. I think we we're excited to kind of jump in and start talking about uh, sports with you. But I want to know just kind of like your story and how you got to where you're at right now. How would you know that, you know, this is the career path for you? How would you end up where you're at right now? Sure. Well, I was, uh, so I, I was a radio junkie as a kid. Like I listened to a lot of, uh, sports talk radio. There wasn't, when I was younger, I mean, I grew up in the eighties. So sports talk as a genre for a whole station was not really around until like the late eighties, but like that's, I grew up in Connecticut. So that's like, geographically, that's my background. I grew up in the Northeast. Um, so I, but, but the stations up there all had like one hour sports talk shows. And then after that, they'd go to the garden show and the auto show and things like sports mm -hmm. was just one of the many shows that would be on the talk stations for like an hour. And I just couldn't believe like, wow, I can call in and talk to people about, I love sports and it got me loving radio. Um, and then in the late eighties, WFAN, which is the big station up in New York, Mike and the mad dog, it was the first big sports station in the country. Um, they showed up and I listened to them all the time. So I moved here in 1994 to Houston. I was 25 at the time. I was moving here with my then fiance, now ex-wife, um, but moved here in 94. And I got down here and I'm like, hey, is there an all sports station here? Because we had one up in, up in uh, the Northeast. It's Houston's the fourth biggest city. We must have an all sports station. And when I moved here, nope, we don't. You know, we had some shows, you know, like on 740, Russ Small and Charlie Palillo and guys like that. But there wasn't a station. Literally a week later, 610 flipped to all sports. They flipped from like country music to all sports a week after I moved here. And I almost felt like that was a message to me. Like they did that just for me. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. obviously they had been planning on doing it, but that's how it felt. So I became a big listener to 610, um, became friends with John and Lance, still friends to this day, co-workers at one point when I first got into radio. But I, so I and I started calling the Jim Rome show. Um and, uh, and I gained a lot of notoriety doing that. Shawnee the Cabalan Asian. That's, that was my moniker on the Rome show. And, I, and you guys, if you know a little bit about Rome, the smack-off is the big thing on the Rome show, right? That he invites the 30 best callers every year for one day, and you call in, you run your smack. So I won that five, five times. Um, between 99 and 2007, I won it five times. Throughout that time... I was working in sales. I was in telecom sales. So I wasn't in radio. I was just a caller. I didn't, you know, I, I 
I did a little radio in college, but I was in sales the whole time. Um, so I was, I was kind of growing in my career, got married, had a, you know, had three kids in my late twenties, early thirties, moved to Denver for a few years, moved to Chicago for a few years. And through that whole time, I was with the same company. I was moving up the, up the ladder to where, when I moved to Chicago, I was VP of sales for the whole company. I had like 200 people working for me. So I was, I was, I was a good salesperson. I was good at what I did, but I, the higher up I went, the more I hated it. And I really started in like 2005, 2006, I was living in Chicago and I was really regretting not trying radio, like right out of college, you know, like I was really regretting it. Like I should have tried it back when I don't have to worry about how much money I'm making. Now you create a whole lifestyle and you got kids and this and that. So the answer to your question about getting into radio, February 23rd, 2007, I, um, I got let go from my job as VP of sales for the, my company because we were getting bought and I'd never been fired in my whole life. I was really, I wasn't really firing, but they bought, we got bought and I didn't have a job anymore. So I guess I was getting fired. Um, and I'd never been fired before. I was kind of relieved cause I was miserable, but like, okay, now what am I going to do? So I went back to my office and I had to fire a few people myself that day. That was my parting gift is I had to fire a bunch of people below me. And one of them lived in Houston. I was in Chicago. One of them lived in Houston. His name's Joe Garza. And he said, hey, you know some people at 610, right? And I said, yeah, I'm still friends with John and Lance and all them. And he said, hey, man, I'm thinking of getting out of telecom and getting into radio sales. Do you want to do you can you send an email to somebody over there with my resume and maybe they'll hire me? And I said, yeah, sure. I'll send it to uh, I sent it to a guy named Chance McLean, who was the producer of John and Lance's show. And I sent him the email and joking at the bottom of the email, I put, hey, I know you always thought I should try radio. Carve a couple hours out for me on the weekend. I'll move back to Houston. Ha, 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 ha. So I get a call that night. I pull into my driveway and it's February in Chicago. It's cold. And I've got the, it's classic fired guy. Like I got the box of stuff in the back seat <laughs> from my office, you know, got walked to the door by security and all this stuff and pull into the driveway. I'm fired. I'm in the middle of getting divorced. It's negative 11 degrees outside. I'll never forget that. The thermometer on the car said negative 11 degrees. And I get a phone call and it's Chance. And Chance says, hey, man, I got your email. I got Joe's resume, but that's not what I'm calling about. What the thing at the bottom, carve a couple hours out on the weekend. He's like, are you serious about that? And I said, well, I said, I'm fired. So go ahead. Ask me why. I'm, ask me why. Tell me why you're asking me that. He said, well, some of us are going to be leaving 610 to go start up another station pretty soon. And your name came up to give a tryout for the afternoon show just because we figure, hey, we're the fourth sports station in town. Let's try something a little bit different. Let's get the Jim Rome guy. Maybe it pops. You know, maybe it doesn't. And uh, he's like, are you interested? I said, I'm unemployed. I'm interested in anything, you know. And he a chance warned me, too. He's like, you're going to be making a ton less money than you are making right now. Like I took an 80% pay cut to get into radio and I moved back to Houston and left my kids in Chicago with my ex-wife. So there's a lot of broken glass for me, but the phone call that, so that was chance. So chance says to me, okay, you'll be getting a call from somebody, you know, in the next couple days, but that'll give you more detail. I can't say who it is though. There's a lot of secrecy going on at that point. Cause these guys are all leaving 610 to go start up what is now Gal media, right? Um, 97.5. And back then it, the station I was on was 15.60 the game. Um, five minutes after that phone call with Chance, I got a call from John Granado, who was going to be putting the lineup together at this new station. And I tell people all the time, my first interview to get my first radio job was literally a three word interview. 
Granado answered. I answered the phone and Granado goes, so you coming? That was it. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I think I am. And there was obviously more negotiating that had to go on and stuff like that. But most of it with myself, you know what I mean? Like, uh, God, what am I doing here? You know, I'm this, it's probably, it's probably the least responsible thing I've ever done. Like as far as just like purely as a parent and as a, as someone with a checkbook and all these things, but they caught me on a day guys where I was willing to say yes to anything. And when I got a call from them to take my, to try my hand out at what was my dream as a kid, uh, I would never forgive myself if I just got another sales job and just had to ask myself, what if, you know, what if I had said yes to that? Um, I, I couldn't live with myself. So, uh, so it was hard, man. I, it was, you know, it's not easy being a long distant parent. I'm lucky. My kids are all great kids. They're all out of college now and, and whatnot. But, um, but that was, that, that, that was how I got into radio. That was my, you know, I have a really unique path. Um, I'm really proud of it. I'm not classically trained at all, at all. I've had a lot of good mentors and coaches along the way, but I didn't come from Syracuse radio school. You know, um, I'm just somebody who's passionate about sports and the teams and listeners and people. Um, and, uh, and so I told myself, we went on the air at 1560 at, uh, in August of 2007. And I told myself, I'm going to do this to the end of the year. And if I suck at it, I'll just go back and I'll move back to Chicago and go back into sales. If I'm good at it, I'm going to ride this out and really start to put together my goals with what I need to do to get good at this and where I need to be to get good at this. I knew it wasn't going to, I knew it probably wasn't going to be working for that company where I was going to start making the money I needed to again. So I did it for four months. I woke up on January 1st, 2008 and sort of asked myself, okay, what are we doing? I said, let's keep going. And, um, and that's, that was 15 years ago, (laughs) you know? So, um, so shortly thereafter is when I made my goal to get over to 610. Um, that took six years and a lot of networking. Um, my goal after I got in at 610, I was doing afternoons. So my goal once I got here was to get into morning drive because that's where you want to be. That took another five years. My goal was also to do pregame, postgame for the Texans, which I was able to do pretty quickly out of the shoot. I was doing just postgame. I got pregame and postgame two years ago. Um, and I wanted to have a national show. And I got that in 2016. So I'm really, I'm really proud I've been able to not only accomplish those things, but hold on to those things and build off of those things. And I have the best job in the city. Now I have the best radio job in the city. It's inarguable. I think everybody in the city would trade spots with me to, to be on morning drive on the Texan station in the fourth largest city, uh, is just, it's, uh, it's crazy. I'll tell you this, Sean. I'll trade That's spots with you. I'll, I'll trade spots. We can make this to Sean and Will. So I'll trade spots with you right now. <laughs> Will, he just sold you out, Will. <laughs> hey, if I get to kick it with you every day, I'm cool with that. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll say this, Sean. That's a really inspiring story. You know, I've always wanted to, you know, talk Good. about the Rockets, you know, my entire life, anything, you know, Houston related. Uh, you know, I'm in aeronautical engineering yeah. right now. I love that, you know, it brings in really good money. You know, my passion will always lie with, you know, talking Rockets hoop. So I'm happy, you know, Will and I came together for this podcast. And, you know, maybe one day I'll get to where you were. Yeah. You're like, man, I wish I just really jumped into it, you know, when I was out of college. And hopefully none, yeah. of, my, uh, none of my, you know, coworkers see this. But, you know, uh, you know, I would love to do something. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or maybe or maybe they do. You know, I think I think guys like what I it's so different now. Um, it's the wild, wild west out there as far as content goes, you know. So 
that's the thing now. Like back before the internet, it was like if you want to get into radio, you had to go to a broadcasting school and then work in this lower level city and then another mid-level city. And then if you're lucky, the musical chairs start moving in a big city and you go to a station there, maybe not even the station of your choice. You know, you just got, I just, it's in Houston. I want this opportunity and I'm going to go for it. Um, but now if you want to broadcast, start a podcast, you know, if you want to write, start a blog, if you want to, you know, if you, if the content gets good enough, start a Patreon, you know, like it's, uh, um, monetizing, it's not easy, but actually generating the content is very doable for anybody with a computer these days. So my advice to you guys, to anybody listening is generate as much content as you can. If this, if this is something you truly want to do living out of it, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with doing it as a passion project because you guys love the Rockets or whatever. If you do this for another 30 years and you guys just love doing it, that's awesome. And and I you know and I think you're doing a great service for a lot of Rocket fans out there. But I would tell people if they're listening to this, generate as much content as you can. I mean, I've started writing too in 2008, mostly because I needed to make more money. So the Houston Press started paying me to write blog posts for them. I do one a day. I'm still doing it 14 years later for them. Um, I never knew I could write like that. You know what I mean? They had me write features and stuff like that. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just, I, I just went with it, you know, and I took coaching. Um, but generate as much content as you can say yes to a lot of stuff that you might not normally say yes to and network like crazy. Talk to people, figure out who the people are. This is where my sales background came in handy when it came to getting over to 610 is I had to identify who the decision makers are. And not just the decision makers, but who are the ones that I really needed to impress? Who are the ones I really needed to talk to? Whose hand did I need to go shake in the press box at Texans games so that they knew that I existed, you know, let alone wanted to work there? You start with making sure they know you exist. And then from there, you know, you the one thing you don't want to do is come guns a blazing like, hey, I want to work. For, I'm going to work for you someday. OK, I met you four seconds ago. You know, be friendly with them first. Converse with them. But the bottom line is generate content like crazy and network like crazy and and uh, you know and good things you know good things happen you know if you're if you're but come up with a plan you know like plan find out figure out who it is you need to talk to what are the steps you need to do to get to where you want to get to that that's that that's that way with anything not just broadcasting you know i was that way in my sales career too so um but yeah i'm dude i'm <laughs> I'm very, I, I had a plan, but you need some luck along the way too, man. There's no doubt about it. You need some luck and you need some people believing in you when other people probably wouldn't believe in you. So I'm, I'm really fortunate. I got good bosses and good mentors and, um, awesome listeners, you know? Uh, so it's great sponsors too. Like I, you know, people that, people that spend their money on you is the ultimate, like, that's like, wow, that's like super humbling. You know, they spend thousands of dollars so you can speak for their product. you know, like that's, so it's um, it's a it's not bad. It's not a bad gig. That's a great gig. Yeah, I'm hoping you know I get a lot of luck my way, and you know we'll see what happens. Keep working at it, man. You guys are doing a good job. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, one we really appreciate that. That was like really good advice. That I think both. Yeah, of you are I, I I tell that yeah. story to a lot of people, Will and Brad, and I and I get to a point where I'm like, I think I've been told this is a really good story and that it's inspirational, oh, but goodness. I never know where you get to a certain point. I'm like, am I being too long winded with this? Am I doing? But I you know so. No. Yeah, good, good, good. And, and that kind of like led me into my last two questions. I don't know if Brad needs more questions, but I have two final questions, really quick ones. Um, you talked a lot about being on like the fence of like, you know, this is my dream. 
But yeah. like, do I do it? Do I take this chance? Do I bet on myself? You know, you risk, you risk, you left your family, you left your home, you came to Houston and there was really no promises, no guarantees, you know, yeah. as far as that. So like, what is your advice to people out there who are listening, who are like on the fence of chasing their dream? And then my second yeah. question is, and it's another quick question, question like that. But my second question is, you talked about too, uh, you had like a bunch of just goals you had for yourself that when you, you know, you were working your way up uh, that you kept yeah. targeting. Do you have any goals left for yourself or do you think that you're, you know, you're at a, a place of complacency? Yeah. Okay. So, I'll, so I'll answer the first one um, for people who are on the fence. Uh, I, I don't universally just say, Hey, go for it. You know what I mean? Like you get, you got to assess the situation, you know, you got to assess the situation. But I, what I would say is that, if you're if you're on the fence and you're at a place in your life where there aren't a ton of people that are depending on you, that you're you know, you can make a decision and it's not going to ruin or wreck a lot of things, then go for it. You know what I mean? Like if there's people involved, like like I had kids, you know, still do. Um, uh, I had to you, you got to really sit down and figure out like, OK, what's the best case and worst case scenario? And I guess that would be my advice. I do that with my son all the time. My younger son, um, Sammy, who's in law school here at South Texas, um, he's getting offers right now from different law firms for, he's just finished up his first year. So he's getting offers for next summer. And there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of moving parts. So I do the best case, worst case with thing thing with him all the time. So that's what I would tell people is envision what the best case scenario and worst case scenario is, and, and try to get yourself into the moment of your ability to live with the worst case scenario. If you can live with the worst case scenario, then go for it. If you can't live with the worst case scenario, then don't, you know, like that's, but it's, it's a projection. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, so that's, that's my advice. I use that with my kids all the time. Best case, worst case. I, I think it's useful in sports talk. I think it's useful in life. Um, best case, worst case. So that's my advice for people um, on the, on the fence. As far as the future goes. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not one to stay stagnant. Um, I don't want to, I've watched people in this industry kind of get complacent and level off and, and just kind of live off of the, you know, just sort of live off of the momentum that they've generated for years and years. I wake up with some degree of paranoia every day. Um, Healthy paranoia, not, not paranoia. That's, you know, that, that has me, uh, uh, you know, like, peeling my skin off with my fingers or anything like that. But I, I, you know, I, I, I live with a decent, healthy amount of fear of failure, you know, that kind of thing, or just fear, not fear sounds so daunting, but just, I'm, I'm very cognizant of it's again, best case, worst case. I always think of the worst case scenario. You know, I always have it in the back of my mind trying to prevent the worst case scenario. So, um, so, so I don't like to stay stagnant. Your question was, do I have other things that I want to accomplish um, I'm, I just started up a podcast with John McClain. That's a Texans podcast. So I've got that. I've got ideas for a couple of other podcasts that I'm workshopping right now with Odyssey that I may end up doing. A lot of this comes down to time, as you guys know. Um, so that's the realm I'm looking to get into now. I say I need, I think I need to get better on social media. So that's something that's really a goal of mine is to build up my Instagram following and get better at doing stuff like that that connects more with the younger audience. Um, so that's a real goal of mine. I think I've been deficient in that area. I got a decent Twitter following, but the other outlets, I think I need to be better on that. So it's all, it's, it's, it's really, it's more, um, like small things like that. Like the things we were talking about before were like big goals. Like I got to get to six ten. you know, 
I got to get into radio. <laughs> you know, like it's, a, um, they're more, they're, they're smaller things now because mo- my life is pretty well in order and I don't have any desire really to go like work at another station or be in a different day part here, move to another city. I get asked that a lot because I do that CBS show. Like, do you want to be a national host? And I tell them not really. Uh, I mean, I, I technically I am, I have a Sunday show, but unless you're Jim Rome or like, 10 other people in national radio, there's not a ton of money there. The money's better local because it's, you're connecting with a local audience and, and you got sponsors that see you and shake your hand. And, you know, I bought both my cars from the two dealerships I speak for. I go to the sleep doctor that I, that I speak for, you know, I, I get my testosterone at the men's tea clinic that I speak for. Um, you know, my beer and my whiskey that I endorse are both, you know, they're brewed locally here and I go to those places. So, the money's in local unless you're a really big, big wheel. So that's not some. I get that's the one I get asked the most. Like, do you want to go national, or do you want to go on TV? And I'm like, I'm not at the TV. First of all, I like I don't, I don't I wouldn't put my face on TV for an extended period of time for one thing. Um, and I and I I don't I'm not wild about that world. I love the world I'm in right now, and I think there's so much going on with digital now and podcasting and streaming and everything else. There's plenty of meat on the bone for me to still go get, you know. And I'm gonna go get it. That's good. And Sean, look, I could literally sit here and talk to you for hours. But, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we're definitely going to have you back on. Got to hear some more good. of those stories and, you know, talk more about the tech. I got stories, dude. I got story. I got a ton of stories. I got it's, less is the tip of the iceberg. I got story story time, baby. Got to hear. <laughs> but, you know, to close, you know, definitely grateful to have you on the show. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Love that last segment. You know, just, you know, getting in depth of things and talking, you know, about inspirations and, you know, how to make if, if you're dealing with something like that. So for sure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'll pass the will for, for him to close. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say you, you talked about um, growing your social media platform. Hit, hit me and Brad up. We'll, we'll help you out over there, man. I got you. <laughs> okay, good, good. I will. Be careful what you wish for, Will. Oh, yeah. No, we would, we would love we would love to uh, extend our helping hand. So most definitely. Um, well, we'll have to get together off the podcast sometime and, and, sure. uh, and chop it up. Definitely, yeah, sure. definitely, definitely. And, you know, cool. always thank cool. you for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. We, it's probably my favorite episode we've done so far. So um, I appreciate you taking the time out today to come talk with us. Uh, I know it's kind of funny asking you to, like, plug yourself because you're, you know, Sean Pendergrass. But if you want to tell the listeners where they can, you know, connect with you and find you at an opportunity right now. Dude, it's dude, it's never a bad time to plug yourself on social <laughs> yeah. media or anything else. And this is my other advice I give. OK, this is what I tell everybody. Everything is sales. Everything is sales. Everything like you got, you know, like impressions you guys make on people when you go meet them at places, you know, people you talk to this podcast, you know, like everything is sales, right? You know, you're selling, you want, you want to build an audience, right? You're selling, you know, you're selling, you got a product, you're selling. So everything's sales. So I say that to say at Sean T. Pendergast on Twitter, <laughs> I'm on Facebook too. And I think I'm, I think it's Sean.Pendergast on, uh, on uh, Instagram, if you put in if you put in my name, it'll you know how Instagram works with the search. I think it's at Sean.Pendergast on 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 the gram. Twitter is my biggest. That's where I spend most of my time there on on Twitter. Um, but uh, a follow on any of those, and then six to ten a.m. Uh, Monday through Friday on Sports Radio six ten one to five p.m. Central Time on Sunday on CBS Sports Radio. You can listen to all of those on the Odyssey app or on the radio, obviously. But the Odyssey app is is huge. One quick. From a uh, programming note, Nick Casario will join me and Seth 7.30 uh, Tuesday this week on the show. Nice. And he usually nice. hangs with us for about a half hour or so. So 
He'll be on with us this week on Tuesday at 7.30. So we'll rehash training camp, look ahead. You know, that's the day that they're making all the cuts. So who knows, maybe we get a nugget or two. I would hope that he would tell the guys who's getting them that they're getting cut before he says anything on Payne and Pendergast. But you never know. There could be some cuts that happen before he comes on with us that we get to talk about with him. Like a lot of people are waiting to see what happens with Ross Blacklock. Who knows? Maybe he gets cut Monday and we're talking about it with Nick. But anyways, Nick's going to join us 730 on uh, Tuesday this week. So everybody make sure to tune in that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, Sean's talking about, you know, always plug yourself. So I'll plug myself right now and I'll plug Will as well. If you're still with us, we appreciate you. If you subscribe, you'll be able to catch Sean the next time he's on the show and every episode we drop on Monday. So definitely make sure to tune in with us uh, every single Monday. Yeah, that's it for me on this podcast. Again, Sean, I really appreciate you for coming on. Really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Appreciate you guys coming on. And more than that, I appreciate this podcast and you guys making me smarter at the uh, at Rockets <laughs> basketball. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate that. Yeah. And that'll yeah. do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next Monday. <laughs>